This week, uh, I received an email um, from the bishop's office, and it said, Hey, good news, you're, you're reappointed to Madison United Methodist Church. And being my first year uh, being able to be appointed, it had not even crossed my mind <laughs> that I could be somewhere else. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll forward this to my wife. Uh, hey, we're, we're going to be back at Madison, um, in case you were wondering. Um, but Barry's got this thing down packed. He's like, I'm here for another year. Corey, you're preaching. You got this. I like, don't even worry about it. Now, I'm blessed to be able to, to share with you guys um, when we celebrate our seniors. Um, and in our second service this morning, um, as you know, uh, we've, we've got an amazing group. Um, of individuals who are going to do great things in the world. Um, and it's because of the body of Christ that has helped shape them and make them who they are. Because of you, because of your support monetarily, because of teaching Sunday school classes, because of the things that you've poured into them, that they're able now to graduate and to go out into the world and make disciples. And so this morning we're going to talk about what, what does it look like to be the church? And Paul talks about it and he uses the analogy um, of the human body. And so if I was to, to say, some of you guys probably think when we, when we say, hey, church, maybe you think of a building. You know, we just went through an, a building campaign and built a brand new section. So when we thought of church, we thought of building. Or maybe a worship service. Are you going to church? Yeah, 8.30, 10.45, which one? Or maybe it's an organization. I joined the church. Are you a member there? You know, the real church, though, um, it's, it's not really just a, a club. It's not really just an organization or a building or a service. The real church is an organism. And that's why Paul uses this analogy, because it's something that has life. You and I are organisms. We have a body. Our body parts work together to give us that life. If things aren't working right in our body, we don't feel so good. If you play three hours of basketball with a bunch of high school guys, the next morning you get up and you're like, oh, I'm me. I should have stretched, you know. Like, things start to, to, to get out of shape if your body's not working in unison, and the church is no different. The church is no different, and Paul says this to us. You know, we use the term member to describe somebody maybe, you know, yeah, I'm a member at the gym. Where do you work out? I'm a member here. I'm a member there. Maybe if you're on a team, you're a team member, you know, go balls. Uh, you know, maybe you're a member um, of a club, the Rotary Club or Rotaract or something like that. But another meaning for that comes from biology. It means a body part, an arm, a leg, a head, a foot, to be part of something living. The Bible tells us this, and this is Paul's writing in, in Romans 12. Just as each one of us has one body with many members... These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. And then in our scripture from this morning, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians twelve twelve, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. And then in verse 14, Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many. And so in our scripture this morning, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to them because they're, they're, they're in a disagreement. 
And I know for a lot of you guys, it comes as a shock that the church could disagree on something. But they're in a disagreement. They're arguing. There's some jealousy. There's some envy. There's some anger. Your spiritual gifts, your talents are different than mine. Whose is better? You'd think, man, if there's any place we shouldn't argue about that, let's not forget that even the disciples walking with Jesus were arguing about who was better. Who is going to sit at his right and his left? And so Paul writes this letter to let them know, yeah, you're different, but every one of you is needed. Every one of you is important to the body of Christ. So maybe you're one of those, you're jealous. If you're jealous of those that are teaching student Sunday school, we can fix that. I mean, you just come talk to me. We can fix that. Um, but no, so, so when we dive in this morning, let's, let's start in verse 15. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the foot or to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. It's sort of like relay races. If you guys have ever watched the Olympics, relays are probably the coolest thing to watch because it takes more than just one person whether it's swimming, whether it's running, whatever it is, it takes a group of people with a common goal working together to achieve something. Four years ago, there was a seventh, two seventh graders, a sophomore and a senior that were running for Madison Central Track. Keep in mind, two seventh graders running for varsity track. At the state meet, they were running the 4 by 800 relay. And several of these students are involved in our student ministry here. They posted a 9.50 time. That's two miles, four people. Under five-minute miles, all the girls together. They posted a 9.50 time. That was four years ago, and that still stands as the state record today. And here's the beautiful thing. No one cared who the lead leg was. They didn't care who the anchor leg was. They didn't care. The senior didn't go, oh, I have to run with seventh graders. Gosh. They all had a job to do. They didn't care who got the glory. They worked together. Relays are necessary. It's necessary for everyone to compete together in order to win. You have to be in sync. Your handoffs have to be good. Your starting positions have to be correct. And then when it all comes together, that's when they win. And not only did they win, like I said, they set a state record that still stands to this day. Seventh graders and a senior, they work together. Most of y'all know who Usain Bolt is. If I said that name, you're all like, yeah, that dude's really fast. You're correct. He is very fast. He ran a 4 by 100 with Jamaica in the last Olympics. They won gold. And so something that's beautiful, but also a warning to us. In Paul's writing here is we all need to work together but when we don't the world sees that when we don't look like a cohesive body that loves Jesus that's serving together the world sees that and they go "Ooh, I don't know if I want to be a part of that Usain Bolt they win the they win the four by 100 and it comes out a year later the one of those members 
in that team was doping. He got caught. And so not only was his medal stripped, but the three others that did nothing wrong, their medals were stripped. How mad do you think they were? There's got to be some sort of accountability. And Paul gets to that later. He talks about how we should look out for the weaker and hold those up and respect them and be there for them. But there's got to be accountability in that as well. But in the same way, just like he's saying, we can't say, oh, I'm not a foot, so I'm not part of the body of Christ. I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body of Christ. It's the same in the church. The Sunday school teacher is no more or less important than the Sunday school student. The congregation is no less important than the preacher. Each of us has a part to play in the body of Christ. So what does it look like if a church isn't connected? If a church is going off doing their own different things, we've got silo ministries, nobody knows what's going on, and we're all doing our own thing. Take a look at this video. Sorry, bro. Really? Let me help. You know what? I'm I'm sorry. There's there's something wrong with me. Since we're the body of Christ, what would it look like if we did our own thing? We look at that guy and we're like, what, what is he doing? What is, literally, she says, what is wrong with you? 
He can't control what his hand's doing. He doesn't know. His head's smacking into things. He's tripping over his own feet. He looks dysfunctional. And the world notices. So what about us as a church? The beauty that I see here at Madison United Methodist Church is we have a mission statement. Building faithful disciples serving Jesus Christ. It's a goal. It's something that helps us drive together a common goal to work towards. And all parts are needed. It doesn't matter who the eye is. It doesn't matter who the foot is. It doesn't matter who the hand is. All parts are needed. And when they work together, the beautiful thing is no one cares who gets the glory because it's Jesus that gets the glory. So it doesn't matter what you do here in your church. And if you're not a member here and you're plugged in somewhere else, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. But be a vital part of the body of Christ. Here at Madison, we have greeters. We have ushers, kitchen staff, nursery workers, Sunday school teachers, money counters, men's ministry, women's ministry, altar guilds, shut-in delivery, VIPs, small groups, music ministry, student ministry, missions. And I could go further and break each one of those down into other ways that you could serve in those ministries. But the point is this. Be vital in the body of Christ. You think, I don't have any gifts. Paul says otherwise. Everybody is vital and needed in the body of Christ. Don't be the appendix of the body of Christ where nobody knows what you do, but you could blow up and kill everybody. Like, that's what the appendix does. I don't have mine anymore. My wife doesn't have hers anymore because it was like, hey, we're not really useful, but we might kill you if you don't take us out. Be invested in the body of Christ. Also, you've heard the phrase, and some people have probably said it. We've all probably said, I've done my time. When we talk about serving in the church. If Jesus thinks you've done your time, then why are you still here? Jesus has a purpose for you and a job for you as long as you are on this earth breathing. We're to give him glory and to be part of his body. Moving on to verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Verse 21 is huge. I have no need of you. Can you imagine someone in the church looking at someone else and saying, I have no need of you? there is any place that that should never be uttered it's in the body of christ but that usually happens with our age differences usually have it here at madison we have kids ministry student ministry adult ministry and you got a lot of things that fall under those but it's usually divided up into age groups and here's the beautiful thing about kids they love everybody you can get on their bad side but five minutes later you know you give them a tootsie roll it's game on they love you Kids need everybody. They idolize your students and teenagers. They got older siblings. They hung the moon. They're the best thing in the world. Adults provide them with a safe place, with comfort, with their needs. There's a reason that Christ tells us to have faith like a child. Students, though, they may think they know everything. Maybe. Mark Twain said when he was 14 years old, he thought that his father was the dumbest guy on the planet. And then when he came back home at 21, he was amazed at how much his father had learned. (laughs) But our students, they'll care care for the younger generation. 
If you've ever been around here during VBS, our students make up the majority of those volunteers. Now, it may be out of obligation, or it might be that they care about the next generation. And then adults, man, it's a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get with us, right? Most of us love kids. They're so funny. We love to see them, like, pushing each other up here, singing and laughing and goofing off. And, like, we're just like, oh, they're so innocent. But in so many churches today, it's, yeah, kids are great, but they don't belong in a sanctuary. They don't belong in worship. I'm so thankful that we have a church that worships together. Sometimes you hear people say, the problem is the next generation. Guess what? Every generation is needed in the body of Christ. Every part of the body. If you think you're too old to learn or too old to serve, you're wrong. If you think you're too young to make a difference, you're wrong. Every part is needed in the body of Christ. We have to work together side by side, learning from each other. I got to go golfing last week. Disclaimer, I am a terrible golfer. So if anybody in here is like, oh, Corey golfs? Sure, but oof, it's bad. You don't want any of that. So I got to go golfing with a, a member of our congregation and his son. His son's in the student ministry, um, and he's a, he's a volunteer in our student ministry. And the beautiful thing about me getting to go golfing with him was not because I'm like, man, I'm going to show off my skills at golf because I don't have any. It was the fact that I got to spend time with a man who is ahead of me in life and who has two boys who love the Lord. And I could just hang with him and I could glean wisdom from him and I could hope that I could impart a little bit of that upon my son going forward. And not only that, every time I walked up to my ball, which was usually a lot further back than theirs, I would scream up to his son, hey, what pointers do you have? Because he is way better at golf than I am. So here I am taking golf tips from a 14-year-old and trying to learn from a man who could be my father's age. All sides of the spectrum. And I was like, man, just teach me. And the great thing is everything that his son told me, every time I actually did what he told me, I was like, whoa, who knew that the ball could get off the ground? You never knew. (laughs) Hey, I, I did par one hole at Lake Caroline. Just saying, just saying. But that's a beautiful image of the body of Christ. Learn from the older. Learn from the younger. We all have things that we can learn. We have to work together. We have to be willing to learn from one another and edify one another. Verses 22 and 23, on the contrary, Paul says, the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members, they don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving greater honor to the inferior member. This passage is so close to the heart of God. That's who he is. Paul continues this analogy with the human body. And he says, hey, those parts of the body that we tend to consider lewd or improper, we make sure when we're getting dressed that we cover those up. You know, we're like, okay, nobody's in here sitting in a bikini or speedo at church. You know why? Because we make sure we cover those things. And Paul points that out. And he says, so is the same with those that are weaker in the church. Cover them with love. Cover them with respect. Serve them. The body of Christ 
is different, is opposite, is contrary to what the world says. The world says, hey, those that are weaker, those that are different, it's only the strong survive out here. It's dog eat dog. I'm looking out for number one. And as we've seen time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, oh, they've got it backwards. So opposite to who God is. Jesus tells us himself, blessed are the meek, for they shall see God and inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We're clearly reminded through Jesus' ministry that he lifts up the poor and afflicted. We see it in his ministry on earth. When he says, the widow that gave her two copper coins gave more than anyone else. And he gives her that respect and glorifies her. The blind man crying out for mercy, when the world tells him, sit down, be quiet, you're not worthy, he says, no, 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 bring that person to me. When the rich young ruler who has all the respect in the world comes to him and says, what I got to do to get into heaven? Sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Wait a second. That's so contrary to what everything I've learned, Jesus. Hold on a second. I don't know if I'm ready for that. God honors the weak. He honors the hurting. And so as the body of Christ, how much more should we? See, this is one of the reasons that the church first grew. When sickness came into town, when illness, when, when disease came into town, everyone said, we're out of here. We got to leave, except the Christians. He said, we're going to stay, and we're going to witness to those that no one else wants to witness to. We're going to love those that no one else wants to love. When infants were abandoned on the street because of birth defects or, or single mothers that couldn't afford to keep them in the first century, who was it that went and got those? It was the church that said, that's a valuable life, and we're going to love it when no one else will, and we're going to honor it, and we're going to respect it. And because of that, people go, wow. What is it that causes you to do this? And they were able to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Our world's broken, and it needs this church. It's got to be us. It's got to be us. Verse 24, our more respectable members, they don't need this. But God arranged the body, giving greater honor to the inferior member. The world gives all the respect in the world to CEOs to sports stars, to big famous celebrities, to political leaders. You know, they're famous, they're held in high esteem, they're idolized. But who in the world cherishes the broken? Who cherishes the orphan, the widow, the downtrodden? Paul's saying here, it's got to be us. We're the body of Christ. It's what we're meant to do. It's what we're called to do. And we here at Madison say, we're going to serve Jesus Christ. That's part of it. When someone walks through those doors that maybe doesn't run in our circle, looks at a little different than us, dresses a little different than us, Paul's saying here, we've got to love them even more than our own best friend. That's the person you should be like, hold on, talk to you in a minute. I'm going to go love them. I'm going to give them that greater honor. God arranged the body giving greater honor to the inferior member. Verse 25, so that there would be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Like we said earlier, the early church met needs. We read it in the very beginning of Acts that they were breaking bread together, and when a need arose, they were selling stuff. What you need? I got you. What you need? I'm going to help you out. I'll be there. 
You know, this came in a day and time where there wasn't insurance, there wasn't Aflac, there wasn't any of that stuff. You broke a leg, your family might starve because you couldn't work. The church said, no, you're not going to starve. We got you. That's what they did. They met the needs. They cared for one another. I mean, even the church's first argument came because someone wasn't getting cared for. It wasn't carpet color. It wasn't music style. It was, you're not caring for these people well. Let's do better. Let's care for these widows who aren't getting fed. 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all rejoice. You guys know that I'm a big University of Tennessee basketball fan. goes without saying, just University of Tennessee in general, I guess. Um, Orange tie was not on purpose. Yes, it was. So... They had a thing this, this year, their basketball team was pretty good, and they had a thing at the beginning of every game, in the pregame, one of the teammates, team members, would run up and he would dunk a basketball, and everybody would jump up with him. And it became a national phenomenon. A lot of NBA teams started doing it, and they called it the one fly we all fly. It looked really cool in slow motion. Everybody would jump, and they're saying, look, if one person's doing well, we're all doing well. If one person's rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. We're, everything we do is together, because life is meant to be lived together. Our bulletins, if you read them every week, it talks about how we, how we mourn and we suffer and we pray with those who have lost people. And it talks about how we rejoice with those who have had victories, such as babies, victories over illness. We rejoice together. We're supposed to be so connected that when one of us hurts, we all hurt for that person. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice for that person. I've seen it firsthand. When, I, when we were pregnant with our son, we had a baby shower over there that I almost had to get a different house because I couldn't carry or put all the stuff that you brought us. Some of y'all were more excited than we were about our kid. Even still, when you see him, I'm like, okay, you can have him for a second. <laughs> you guys love well. And this is a good thing. When we rejoice, that's, we do that well at Madison. Continue that. Continue that. And the beauty of verse 27, since I'm running out of time, if you gave me, if you gave me more Sundays to preach, I wouldn't have to fit it all in one. You know. <laughs> there goes the pay cut. All right, so <laughs> verse 27 you're the body of Christ, but individually members of it. We're not in this alone. That's the beauty of it. On October 17th, when I got a phone call from UMC that said, we have the results of your, your chromosomal test. And they said, would you come in and talk with us? And Abby and I came in and they said, your son Ward will have Down syndrome. And we said, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? After we were able to, um, I don't know, catch our bearings, if you will, who did I reach out to? People in this church. People that loved well. When I had questions about, what do I do with this insurance for a special needs kid? What do I do here? Who did I reach out to? People here that loved and rejoiced with us. And so I got a whole other page to go. Um, 
But let me just pray for us. And then we're going we're gonna to rejoice together and we're going to sing and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church family. Thank you for your word from Paul this morning that reminds us that we are no greater than anyone else in these pews. We are no less than anyone else in these pews, but we are to honor one another. For we all have a purpose. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. God, help us to know our worth in your family. Because you saw us all as worthy of dying for. And for that, we thank you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.